Hello, hello, welcome. You are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday. And today, I wanted to talk to you all um, for our Bible study, our weekly Bible study. I wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God and the Spirit that's mentioned in Scripture. Um, this, This particular topic really fascinates me. And I think one of the reasons came up in the last 24 hours in me trying to search out good answers for some of my deepest questions and finding very little material to answer my questions. Um, And so I think the Holy Spirit is kind of this big question mark for a lot of people. What is the Holy Spirit? What is it actually doing? We see the Holy Spirit show up in the Old Testament. It didn't just show up after Christ, but the interaction between mankind and the Holy Spirit does seem to be different. So there are questions, and I really want to understand how the Holy Spirit is operating right now because of the times that we are living in. Where is the Holy Spirit working? Where do we see the Holy Spirit filling someone up so much so that they are prophesying accurately to the church? Um I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure I'm seeing it, but I do have some fun topics that I wanted to cover today regarding the Holy Spirit that I thought might interest you, might be stuff that you haven't looked into or dug into, and um, in this great blessing of having the Holy Spirit indwell in us and be with us, because goodness, I know I need help from the Holy Spirit. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, many of these things we are just seeing a complete lack of in our society, but they are evidences that the Holy Spirit is with you. And so um, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be with us and not grieve the Holy Spirit as is discussed in Hebrews with our sin or with our rebellion or with our lack of self-control, our inability to adjust our lives to what God wants. You know, if you really want to walk in the Holy Spirit, you have to be willing to change and allow for that space. But let's talk about this. Um, We're going to start in John 4, 24. That verse says this, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Holy Spirit is just one aspect of God. We see God the Father, God the Son. There is oneness of unity, of purpose, of mind between these entities, but they don't each have the same job or fulfill the same role, yet their goal, uh, their direction is all the same. And God is a spirit. Even though Christ came as man, he's a spirit. Um, God the Father is a spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. Okay, so, and desiring to be worshiped in spirit, in alignment with his spirit and in truth, you know, bringing the truth to the Lord, bringing something outside of the truth, I believe qualifies as strange fire. We don't want to be bringing those things to God. Then we have John 14, 24, where Jesus says, but the comforter who is the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So we see that 
the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life is to remind you of what God has said. And this makes a lot of sense, right? You know, you have a natural conscience where you kind of know right from wrong, but the Holy Spirit is supposed to quote the Bible to you, help you recall what God has actually said in his word, what Jesus actually taught, so that you can have wisdom for all of these situations. And we're going to find out wisdom is one piece of the Spirit of God. Um, We're going to talk about that in a minute. But this Holy Spirit is going to help you discern, is going to teach you and help remind you of what has been taught. So the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. The Holy Spirit in Hebrew is called the ruach hakadesh, right? And the idea behind the word ruach is the concept of wind. Now, you know, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Very much like gravity. You can't see gravity, but you experience the effects of gravity. Belief in God, the spirit of God is very much like that. You can't see it, but you experience the effects of it. And according to 119 Ministry, Ruach is linguistically associated with three words. Arak, which means a person who follows a set path from one place to another. Raka, which is a millstone that follows a circular path and crushes grain. And Yurak, which references the moon following a circular repeated path. So Ruach is about something that follows an established circular path. Okay, and that millstone idea, you know, millstone would have dug a path actually into the ground. And so Ruach is also related to the concept of a rut, like something being dug in to the ground, um, as well as path. Path implies, in Hebrew, the word for path is a goal, which actually implies repetitive cycles or circles. It can also be translated as trench which is path used so frequently the landscape has been permanently changed. Traditionally, Jewish rabbis have called the entire seven feast system a cycle of righteousness, which is the exact same phrase that's used in Psalm 23 when David says, um, you lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That word is a goal. And it can imply cycles, that rut, that thing that you do constantly, that you're constantly supposed to be in. And so the Holy Spirit is the one guiding you in the paths of righteousness. Okay, the Holy Spirit should always be aligning you with God's cycles of righteousness. Again, one of those cycles being the Sabbath day and the feast days. Those are part of God's cycles of righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into those things and is going to gently push you to learn about those things and then going to bring to your mind those things, help you recall them so that you can keep them. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you to have self-control when you need it and going to remind you that it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's going to bring that to mind and help you do it. Okay, we're told in Ecclesiastes that what has been will be and what has been done will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. God is cyclical. The world is cyclical. We think in a linear way. We don't want things. We want to always be making progress. You know, once you've done that, you should be able to move on. Um, And yes, there are there are things that we should be progressing in. The most important of those things is figuring out how to be in that rut of righteousness, that cycle of righteousness. How can I stay in that? Because this is part of blessing. Those cycles of righteousness bring blessing to your life. 
Now, let's talk about something that comes up in scripture that I think is a little bit mysterious for people, the seven spirits of God. Now, seven, if you remember from some of my previous teachings, seven is a really important number in scripture. It comes up a lot. We have the very first seven days of creation. The very first part of scripture is a number seven. There are seven days of creation. We have one of the most important symbols that God wanted put in his tabernacle, in his temple, and that's the seven candle menorah. Seven always relates to the fullness, the wholeness of something. So seven days of creation meant at the end of those seven days, creation was full and whole. It was complete. God said it was very good, which meant it could fulfill what it was supposed to do. It would do what he wanted it to. It's full. The menorah, it's full. And we're going to see how the seven spirits of God relate to that menorah as well. But so there is a fullness to the spirit of God. There's a fullness to the Holy Spirit. There's seven qualities to this spirit. Okay, so first we have to actually establish, hey, where does it say there are seven spirits? So multiple locations. Let's head to Revelation 5, 6. It says this, And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. I really think it's so interesting. You know, I don't know a lot about horns yet. I'm learning. But the seven eyes that are sent forth into the earth. So the this wisdom, knowledge, understanding. We're going to see what the seven spirits of God are, but they are sent into the earth. Those spirits are eyes and the seven eyes are spirits. I think that's fascinating. It's almost like it's looking for the right place to land or it's uh, looking for what is happening on the earth and able to discern and able to judge. So now let's talk about what those spirits are. If you go to Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, it says this, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from the roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or make a decision by what his ears hear. And it continues on, ending with the concept that this Yeshua will slay the wicked. He will slay the wicked. And he will have the right to do that because he will have all of the spirit of the Lord, which is the spirit of the Lord is the middle branch in a seven branch menorah. It's the fourth one over. So the center is the spirit of the Lord. Okay. This means this is, you know, the Lord. Okay. This is Yeshua. This is God himself. And then we have. Uh, different spirits that go together. When you look at the language, um, these spirits go together and they're separated by a comma. So the spirit of wisdom and understanding, those go together. There's a comma there. The spirit of counsel and strength come next. And then finally, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Six more spirits appear. Now on the menorah, if you're looking at a menorah, how that operates is the outside candles connect. They kind of look like a giant smile or a giant bow across the middle spirit, which is the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom and understanding are the outside spirits. And then the next candles in, which would be candles two and five, uh, two and six, sorry, um, is that right? Yeah, two and six will be the spirit of counsel and strength. 
And then three and five are the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So these spirits go together. Um, We also learn from Isaiah that Jesus has all the spirits of God, all of these spirits. He has wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. So um, which means he's respectful of the will of the Father, right? When he was on the earth, he talked about that. He talked about following God's will. At all costs, at the very cost of his life, he followed the plan of the Father. And this really interesting relationship between these three entities, you have the Holy Spirit in all of its fullness resting upon Yeshua, and you have Yeshua in full obedience to the Father, fascinating and a perfect example for us because we want to at least have, there's no one else in scripture who has the fullness of the Holy Spirit like that. But we do have other people come up who receive aspects of these seven spirits. Okay. So at the end of Deuteronomy, you see Moses lays his hands on Joshua and Joshua receives the spirit of wisdom. Interesting. So that's one of the seven spirits of God. So he receives wisdom there. And because of that, he is able to lead the people across the Jordan into the land of Israel. They finally get to do this after 40 years of wandering and hundreds of years of slavery. Joshua leads the people into the land of Israel, being gifted this wisdom. Um, Now, this is the receiving of the Holy Spirit, right? But I think what's happening here is instead of the Holy Spirit being in Joshua, the Holy Spirit is with Joshua. He receives that spirit spirit as with him. And this happens to multiple people in multiple places throughout the Old Testament. But um, it's a little different possibly than what we see happening in the New Testament. We we see it happen with uh, Moses when he anoints uh 70 respected elders who would share in the task of leadership with him, they become anointed with the Holy Spirit and immediately they prophesy. Okay, so the Spirit of God is upon them and they're able to prophesy for the nation. And so the spiritual gifts are manifesting with them. Prophecy is one of one of the spiritual gifts. And so Again, we see the Holy Spirit with people in the Old Testament, empowering them and enabling them to do mighty things. So I would like to read, um, here's something really fascinating, and I think it's part of how the Holy Spirit gets restored to people in the New Testament after what had happened with it in the Old Testament. And I just need to find this here. So I would like to quote from Douglas Hamp who writes about this incredible moment where the Spirit of God enters Adam. You know, Adam was made out of the dust of the earth, but then Genesis tells us that God reached down and breathed Spirit into him. And he doesn't do that with the animals. He doesn't do that with the rest of creation. Mankind receives this alone. And this is definitely a moment where I believe that the Holy Spirit is being received into Adam. And I think the Holy Spirit indwelt in Adam and Eve, that there was that complete, full, whole, you know, that was given wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all of this amazing stuff that the Holy Spirit brings dwelling inside of Adam. And then when Adam leaves the garden, it seems like that changes. There's a shift in that, you know, and the Holy Spirit is not indwelling in Adam every, anymore. It's one of the things that was changed after the Garden of Eden. So 
But God wanted to restore this. And we see Yeshua restore this indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament through the same route, through a breath. Okay, so this is what Douglas Hamp says. To see evidence of this picture, we must fast forward approximately 4,000 years to just after the resurrection of Jesus. We find the disciples after the crucifixion behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish leadership. Jesus makes a sudden appearance and walks through a wall in his resurrected body. So, and this is from John 20, 22. It says, and when he had said this, he breathed. Literally, this is the word in breathed. In Greek, it's enephusesin. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So that Greek word enephusesin used in this passage above is the same exact word and form of the word that the Greek Septuagint uses in Genesis 2, 7, when it translates the Hebrew word vayipak, okay, to denote God breathing into Adam. Okay, the word used only once by the, uh, what would this be, 70, tra- 70 translators in Genesis 2-7, where God breathed on Adam and he became a living soul, just as the original creation was completed by an act of God, so to the new creation. Remember, we are called a new creation in Christ. The new creation was completed by an act from the head of the new creation. Yeshua himself breathes, breathes over the people and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they are a new creation. Okay, we're going to look at Ezekiel 37, 9 here. It says, Then he said unto me, Prophesy to the breath. Ruach is the word for breath there. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe, okay, on these slain that they may live. Douglas Hamp says about this, it would truly seem that when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into the disciples, he was in fact doing the same thing that he had done to Adam those many thousands of years ago. The text in Ezekiel 37 will ultimately be fulfilled in the resurrection of the dead. Um, Thus, while Adam consisted inherently of two parts, material and immaterial, Jesus himself breathed not only the life force, but also the Holy Spirit. The point at which Adam sinned is when the Spirit departed, leaving him all alone. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, appears to document that as well. Concerning the formation of man, says thus, God took dust from the ground and formed man and inserted in him a spirit and a soul. This man was called Adam. Okay, so this is so fascinating. Think about this. Let's let's think this through. God breathes the Holy Spirit into Adam. Adam is now body and mind and spirit. He is above the animals in this sense. He has something extra, right? Not only in his physical form, but in what God breathed into him. And there is this space for the Holy Spirit in mankind now. When Adam left the garden and the Spirit of God had to leave him, there was, as they like to put it, a God-shaped hole left there. And so it has to be filled. This is why pastors will say this, and I don't know if they've even thought, thought it through to this level, but you will worship something because you are made to worship. You are made to give glory and honor to God. And if you're not doing that, you will give glory and honor to something. And that something will absolutely destroy you because your soul was made to be held with the Holy Spirit, Right? And so we see that piece of Adam, that spiritual creation in him that has, that falls. 
but it does not change the fact that that spirit still exists and it exists with the ultimate purpose of praising God. How amazing is that? We are made to love God. And so, of course, God wanted to restore to us this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we couldn't be. We couldn't be because in that place that was defiled by sin, there was no sacrifice that could cover the sin. And so the Holy Spirit couldn't have that union there until the blood of Christ came. This gives such deep meaning to what the Holy Spirit is really doing, right? When you, when the Holy Spirit enters you and you're baptized in the New Testament, we see water baptism, but we also see baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, the laying on of hands and people receiving the Holy Spirit. This is a type of baptism I don't think the church talks about enough. And I'm going to start digging into that a little bit more because it's way more than water baptism, right? It's if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is the important baptism. Not that water baptism isn't great. I think it's a wonderful symbol of all sorts of things. And it's a symbol of a new life and a new creation and all of that. And it's it's a declaration to the world that you have accepted Christ. But it means nothing if you do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you have not accepted Christ in your life and that, that God-shaped hole isn't filled, water baptism doesn't mean anything, right? So... Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament, but the Spirit lives within us now. So this is what Jesus says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And people then were baptized into the Holy Spirit through Christ, and they received this extra ministry and power to be a witness to the world. Peter then says it's what Joel had prophesied for the last days. Joel said this, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And remember, it's also prophesied that in the last days, your young men would see visions, your old men would dream dreams. You know, um, young women and young men are going to be able to prophesy. You know, you have, hey, you have females involved there. FYI. <laughs> so the the prophecy is that in the end, the Holy Spirit will come and, and will indwell in people and there will be prophecy and there will be incredible work. We see that happen in the early church to such a full extent. So my question to you is, are you being indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Is that God-shaped hole really filled? Because you are made, you are made to worship God. And nothing else fits. Nothing else can do it. The Spirit of God is what was breathed into Adam. It wasn't just breath. It was God's Spirit. And if you don't have that, you are truly not alive. But you can be by accepting Christ and by deciding to follow Him, deciding to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and change your heart and your mind and your life. My second question for those of you who have made that choice and who had the indwelling, where is the Holy Spirit leading you to minister and to work? It might just be your neighborhood. It, today, it might be your family. That's perfect. In fact, I know God is calling me today to minister to my family. I feel that call, right? That's the, the first and foremost, most important place. Get your house in order. But where is God working? And I guess the third question, once you've worked on all of that, where do you see the Holy Spirit at work in the world? 
Do you see it? Can you find it? Can you see it? Because, you know, we get a lot of really bad news. I tend to share the bad news in my political podcast, which if you decide to upgrade your subscription, five bucks a month will get you, you know, at least four extra podcasts, usually more because I share music and I am going to be starting a proofs series where I'm going to be discussing proofs of the Bible so that you have tool after tool after tool as you're talking to other people. But where is God working in the world? You know, he is is working. And finding those places and going to those places, listening to those teachers, right? That will give you the encouragement to keep on. You are not alone. Not only is the Holy Spirit with you, but God's people are all over the earth doing that work as well. I know the Holy Spirit is at work. And I really believe we are about to see some unbelievable spiritual acts take place. And we should be ready for them. You know, there's one last thing I want to add to my teaching today. I've been doing some study on the parable of the 10 virgins. virgins. There's a lot of different thoughts around that. But, you know, a lot of people believe the oil that the virgins have, that five of them have enough to continue on into the wedding feast. Five of them don't. A lot of people believe the oil is the Holy Spirit. I believe maybe it's a mixture of things because I can't fully wrap my mind around not having, like having a little of the Holy Spirit, but not having enough. Perhaps that's possible. I'm not sure. Maybe they've grieved the Holy Spirit too much, or maybe they haven't been awake long enough. Um, But I also think that that oil could possibly be that knowledge, teaching, obedience. And I have another fun theory to throw out there for y'all with that parable. A lot of people think that the five virgins that don't get to move on, that they are not saved. I'm not so sure about that. Um, I'm not so sure that we aren't seeing two sets of people that are going to come out in in the end times. We are going to have one set that's just living on the earth while Jesus is reigning, and they're they're just living out normal lives. But then we're going to see um, the the bride of Christ that's united to Him, that is helping rule and reign with Him. And that is the five virgins that had enough oil. And that's why I wonder if the oil is partially related to pursuit of God and knowledge of God and wisdom in that regard. Like maybe it's maybe it's about having more of the seven spirits of God. I'm not sure. There are a lot of theories out there, and I'm not going to tell you mine is correct, but I do think there is this concept there of being filled with the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell in you and to direct your path and your day. And I promise you, if you do that, he's going to direct you to read your Bible, to pray, to learn, to grow, to change, to become more like Christ, to have the mind of Christ, to be in transformation mode. All the hard things, right? (laughs) All the things that are like, this sounds exhausting, but you can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. That is a power that you are given with the help of God. So, Just something maybe you want to chew on or go do your own research. Take a look at all the theories out there on the Holy Spirit, its relationship to these seven spirits of God that we see um, listed in Isaiah and referenced in Revelation. And and how do you know, how does all this work? I don't know. I think it's really kind of meant to be mysterious for a reason, because the Holy Spirit is so personal. Um, God is so personal with you. He adores you. He adores how he created you. 
He wants to have a personal relationship with you. You're not going to receive all seven spirits of God, probably, because we don't see anyone in Scripture besides Christ that possesses them. But God wants to give you some of his spirit, give you some knowledge, give you some wisdom, give you some counsel, definitely have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, right? There's also a verse that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It just so happens that on the menorah, knowledge and the fear of the Lord go together. And so if you want better knowledge, you need to fear the Lord. Okay, so God's not going to give you the fullness of all of the Spirit of God. That exists in Christ, and likely you're just not going to receive that here. But you can receive some of it right? And we're called to that. And all of that will produce in you that fruit that you're looking for. You know, you might make a million dollars today. Good for you. But if at the end of the day, you can't sleep because your character isn't right, it's not going to matter, right? So my encouragement to you today, get right with the Lord, invite the Holy Spirit into your life, meet the Lord for the first time if you haven't, and then look for where God is working and where he is calling you to work. I pray many blessings for you all today. Until next time.